0: I realized I had worked myself into kind of a prison and my side hustle real estate was gonna get me out. And I spent the next year, like I had never worked in my life, busting my butt to build that business. And a year later I was able to replace and surpass my nine to five income. A year after that is when I blew up and went to a million dollars. I realized that million dollars was more than I had made in my nine to five in the last 20 years cumulatively when i really got serious and was able to escape my 9 to 5 it was almost like i had had my head held underwater for years and i finally came up and it's like the oxygen filled my lungs and i felt alive for the first time
1: What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the show. My guest today, Mike Simmons, has shared the stage with Gary Vaynerchuk, Ryan Serhant, Jocko Willink, Russell Brunson, Walter Bond, Andy Frasella, Tom Ferry and the list goes on and on. As the owner of a successful real estate investing company and also partner in one of the country's largest real estate mentorship and mastermind companies, Mike specializes in helping entrepreneurs create systems, processes, and automations that allow them to work on their business and not be a slave to it. Mike has personally worked with hundreds of entrepreneurs to help them optimize and grow their businesses. Additionally, Mike is the producer and host of his own online show and has conducted over five 100 interviews with entrepreneurs, which is insane, who run six, seven, and eight figure businesses. He's a husband and father of two daughters and one son residing in Michigan. Mike is always looking for a reason to escape the cold weather and get to a beach. How apropos. Mike, welcome, man. Good to have you. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. (laughs) I escaped Brighton, Michigan to come down here to the Dominican Republic. Yes. No kidding.
0: All right. Small world, man. Yeah. I can understand why it's pretty
1: brutal here in Michigan. (laughs) What part of Michigan are you in? I forgot to ask you that in our Uh, pre-show. I'm in a little town called
0: Clarkston, which is about an hour north of Detroit for people listening somewhere other than Michigan. I'm about an hour north of Detroit, Southeast.
1: We call that Metro. You're Metro.
0: Metro Detroit. That's right. Mm. Nobody's nobody claims to live in detroit they always go oh metro detroit which is like every you know county around detroit
1: whenever i get questions about hey man you live in the dr is it safe i'm like have you been to like the west side of detroit like you could find <laughs> unsafe anywhere united states yeah. here yeah Baghdad you know you can find it no matter where you go so yeah
0: we usually top the prestigious lists of you know violence and crime and that kind of stuff in Detroit so if you want real excitement we're only a short drive away so no worries yeah Dominican's nothing right people are afraid in the Dominican to come to Detroit that's right that's right Detroit's coming back everyone listening if you're from Michigan I'm not crapping on Michigan it's coming back it's definitely uh coming back
1: it is. It's a great city. It's a great city. So uh, something something that you do that I have a, a passion play for, I'm a more recent entrepreneur. I had this big W-2 career, left it a couple of years ago to, to really pursue this. So like I call myself a midlife entrepreneur, but I'm learning now to work on versus in my businesses. I'm learning the power of that. It's a great line. It makes sense. It's logical, but just like anything, like, hey, uh, get in shape. Well, what do I got to do? Just work out and eat better. It's simple, but not easy, right? Mm-hmm. What do you see? How do you, what is it about you? What, what how are you able to train people? Maybe it's something in your in your in your backstory, but you're training entrepreneurs to work on versus in their business. Give me, give me an example of that and why that is what you do now.
0: Um, so <clears throat> I wrote a book, uh, and I'm not, this isn't a pluck my book, but it's relevant to what you're asking me. It, it kind of frames it a little bit. Sure. I wrote a book, How I Grew My Business to Over $1 million in 12 months. Okay. That was a classic six-year overnight success. So (laughs) before I went from basically zero to a million, I had gone into, I started flipping houses Mm -hmm. and I was doing it poorly on every level. Uh, I I had no system. I had no team. I was doing it as a side hustle in all fairness. I'm kind of like you. I'm I'm a midlife entrepreneur. I didn't start, I didn't even start Uh, my real estate journey or my entrepreneurial journey until I was 38. And so I definitely started, I was working corporate, right? White collar job, but I was doing it really, really poorly. And I was, I always say, I was treating my business like a lemonade stand at the end of my driveway, just cash in a a bag. And like, I, I didn't know what I was doing. And so I struggled really, really bad for six years because I was doing everything myself. I didn't have a team. I had no processes. I wasn't tracking KPIs. Like I was commingling funds, like it was just everything you could imagine that someone does wrong when they start running a business, I was doing. And what really, I can tell you the exact moment. I always say my business was born, I have a born on date. And I have a conceived date. My business was conceived in 2008, right? That's when it was conceived. But it really wasn't born until about 2014. And by that, I mean, I started my business in 08. And I was doing everything wrong for about 6 years. And then around year 6, something very transformative happened in my life that caused me to get serious, to seek help, to... Hire coaches to get really serious, and that's when my business exploded. Right? What was that event? Well, I was working that corporate job, and I had for the last six years been trying to get this side hustle going, but not treating it really like a business. And I remember it was uh, it was a Friday night, about eight o'clock at night. I was in charge of a build. I was at automotive. Okay, it was an automotive company I was working for. We built we built seats for the big three. Mm-hmm. Um. Uh, and we had the client in, in, in the, in the building that night. And like I said, it was eight o'clock on a Friday. We had worked all week, Monday through Friday. We didn't leave until nine o'clock or later every single night. Cause we were trying to catch up on a project that we were way behind on. And it's Friday. The guys haven't seen their wives and kids in a long time. And I'm trying to keep them motivated to keep going and let's get this done. And like I said, the client was in the building and, uh, you know, I really hate when people won't say who it was. It was Ford. So if you like Ford, I like Ford. I have a Ford truck. But I'll tell you what, Ford was horrible to me when I was in the automotive industry. But anyways, it uh, could have just been one guy. But he's there, and uh, he comes up and says, you know, why why are we so far behind on this project that you guys are doing for us? And I gave him an honest answer. And at the time, we were doing the builds, but Ford supplied the engineering specs. Like, they were giving us the specs to build these seats. And I said, listen, we've had supply chain issues, right? Some of our suppliers have been laid to get us parts and we've had issues and issues internally, but we have had some engineering issues. And and those are things that we that we were given. Right. And so things weren't matching up. And as I was telling them and giving them a very honest answer, he got in my face. I remember he got right up on my face. He was shorter than me, which is weird because I'm 5'8". This guy was like 5'6". Wow, me little, too. Wow. Napoleon yeah. complex, right? He yeah. got up on my face and he's like, you, you are a bleeping liar. Bleeping, obviously, was an F-bomb and I was like blown away. I was like, I was being very honest with this guy. We had been busting our butt for a week, working all hours trying to get this done. and And at the end of this, he's calling me a liar. So I I was calm whatever he's a client I'm not going to I'm not going to get into an argument with him but I went and found my manager later on that night and I'm like Keith what are we doing here <laughs> it's 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 not, now it's 8:30 on a Friday these guys are just exhausted like there's a point of diminishing returns we're not really getting a lot done right now and the client is being belligerent and this is just no good and he said you need to get your priorities straight and I was like, wow, A second gut punch of the night. And I said, you're right, and I walked out. And what he didn't realize was, I wasn't really agreeing with him, I was saying, you're right, Here, you know what my priorities are? My wife, my kids, my health, my happiness, like those are my priorities. And so that night I vowed that my little side hustle that I was running like this lemonade stand at the end of my driveway was going to be my escape plan. That was my escape plan for the industry and the job that I put myself in, right? I'm not blaming anybody. I didn't end up there. I orchestrated my my career to be where I was, but I, I realized I had worked myself into kind of a prison and my side hustle real estate was gonna get me out. And I spent the next year busting, like I had never worked in my life, busting my butt to build that business. And a year later, I was able to replace and surpass my nine to five income a year after that is when I blew up and went to a million dollars in revenue. And and not revenue, I take that back. I went to a million dollars gross, in gross profits, right? Not just like revenue is kind of BS, right? It's like gross profits. Um, and And when I did that, I got to a million dollars. I realized, I did the math years later, that million dollars was more than I had made in my nine to five in the last 20 years cumulatively. So uh, it was an explosion for me overnight. And it was very much like the most uh, the most accurate metaphor I can give for when I really got serious and was able to escape my nine to five. It was almost like I had bit, had my held, head held underwater for years. And I finally came up and it's like the oxygen filled my lungs and I felt alive for the first time, really. And that's it's kind of dramatic, but it's true. I have never felt more alive than when I was able to walk away from that job and and work
1: on my own terms. Man, uh, you, you and I have to talk more because that might. I mean, take auto auto automotive industry and make it auto claims industry, and uh, very very similar, very very similar uh, story. You know, like you yeah. said, coming out, coming up for water, and and it's it's been incredible. I, I love that point about. I've said this like it took me twenty one years to make like four hundred grand a year. And then it took me a year and a half after to almost double that just in my income, right? Like just by, by you said it, building something while at the job and then actually taking the risk or not even a risk, actually stepping into, you know, what, what I really wanted and really wanted to do for you in that year, in that year that you took from that moment forward, you mentioned Mm -hmm. now you're starting to get serious. So what were, what were the, 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 what was the first, second, third thing that you did to get serious? Was it like, you just wrote down a bunch of systems? Did you hire a coach? Like. What did you do to get serious right away?
0: Yeah, well, number one, I started dedicating more time and energy to it, right? I was sort of, it's sort of like when people say, you know, I can't get good at, I don't know, whatever it is, right? Well, how much time are you devoting to it? Like if if you could watch that person who says, I just can't figure, I can't, whatever, put a camera on them for a week and, and let's log the hours they're watching Game of Thrones you know, breaking bad, like how many times have they gone out with their buddies and and they're not, you know, so I started dedicating more time. Number one, um, every night when, when the kids and the wife had gone to bed every morning before they wake up and every lunch hour that I was at work for that hour that I had lunch or hour and a half, whatever I was working at, that was number one. Number two, I started becoming more of a student. I started asking for help and going to people who had Gone beyond where I was, right? Who knew the steps that I wasn't aware of? And then ultimately, yes, I did hire a coach and a mentor, and I joined a mastermind. And I can tell you, like ninety eight percent of the reason I was able to do what I did is because I asked folks who were where I wanted to be who who would tell me, by the way, I, I what I found in my local market, Number one, it's a bubble, right? And so, the the most successful person I knew in my local market was only a little more successful than me is what I was doing. They, they weren't doing that much, and they didn't have a lot figured out. It was when I expanded my network to be uh, more like national, or you know, talking to people who weren't necessarily in my hometown. And I found people who were running the business I wanted, and was able to sit down with them because I was in this mastermind. It was a paid mastermind, right? So. I was able to sit down and say, what did you do? Like, tell me what you did to go from where I was to where you are. And they broke it down for me and they kind of gave me a blueprint. And it was like, not only what they did right, but maybe as importantly or potentially more importantly, they told me what they did that didn't work, right? So I didn't have to go down those those roads myself. And so the the saying that I, I like to use, and I, I made this up, but I it, it really does illustrate my point I used other people's hindsight, right? They say hindsight's 2020. 20. I use their hindsight as my foresight. And when you can take somebody's 2020 20 hindsight and use that as your roadmap going forward, that's so powerful. The power in that is is so unbelievable. way more. and I always had this feeling too, by the way, before I did this and before I got serious, my mentality was, I don't need to pay anybody for information, like we're in the information age. There is something called the Google, right? I can Google anything I wanna know, but the great thing or the bad thing, the double-edged sword of Google or the internet at large is, yes, everything is probably out there. Everything I was taught was out there somewhere, but it's a needle in a haystack. There's a lot of bad information out there too, or misleading information, or people who are spewing information from their basement and they don't know anything. They've not done anything. They're they're sort of full of it, right? And so when you hire a coach or a mentor, or you join a mastermind, you can really curate the best of the best, and that's the group I was in. It was a, I went from refusing to pay for coaching to paying an extremely high amount for poaching, for coaching, right? Like I, there was no middle ground. I didn't hire a $500 coach. Like I went from zero to several thousands of dollars.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think I'm, I, I was just counting it up. I think I'm at for this year. I think I'm at, let's see, five, six five, 80, 80 grand in, in coaching and mentorship and guidance and, and, and consultants, all of that this year, which is insane when I say it out loud, like that. That blows but, my mind. I mean, everybody I know who's successful
0: Does would that. have a similar number or yeah. higher, or maybe lower if they're just starting. I went from zero to twenty five thousand. My first Big. paid mem- membership or coaching, whatever, twenty five thousand dollars. And here, here's the thing: it was there wasn't a lot promised. There was, we're gonna meet four times a year, and we're going to exchange ideas. That was really all there was right now. It's, you know, the same mastermind has Facebook groups and meetups and tools and video courses and all this stuff. I had in our mastermind that I joined, there was one guy because everyone else had just joined, right? We were all trying to figure it out. One guy was in it who was running the business we all wanted. And he just told us what he was doing. It was very like it was almost like Native American kind of passed down information. There was nothing really written. It was just like, he just told us what he did. And if you're hungry enough and you want it enough, you don't need 5,000 tools and a hundred million videos to watch. You just need the information to go from where you are to, to the next step of where you want to be. And if you take that, like I've, I have fear, you know, like, metaphorically, I've given people the tools to build a house. And if you give two people the tools to build a house, the power equipment, the the lumber, everything, why does one person build a beautiful house and the other person blames the tools, right? So I just wasn't the person who would blame the tools. I took the, and by the way, I wasn't given power tools. I was giving rusty hand saws and jaggedy wood. And I just, I had enough and I figured it out. And, and, and that's, man, that's what it's about to me. That's why you mentioned in the beginning that I teach people automations and things like that. I have no interest in running a business or teaching someone how to run a business that is super manual and something that they have to be in every single day for 15 hours or it falls apart. To me, that's worse almost than a nine to five. Yeah. You're working for yourself, but your quality of life goes to crap. And you, you know, your wife or husband hates you and your kids don't see you like, you you need to build a business and run it like a business, right? If Steve Jobs didn't go into work one day, Apple still chugged along, right? Yeah. It, you can't be the person pulling all the levers and on the hamster wheel all day long. That's a terrible business model. So model, I do right. teach people how to create a business that's passive. And by the way, I run a wholesaling business. It's passive. Yeah. Okay. It's, it's transactional, but it's passive. I don't look at houses. I don't buy the house. I don't sell the house. I don't do any of that. I don't go to closings. Like I couldn't tell you what any of the houses that we did last year look like. I just don't do it because I have a team, right? That's no matter what you're doing. I'm a big firm believer in automations systems and building a good team.
1: I love that. And we're going to dive into a little bit on that in in here in a moment, but I want to ask you, and you might've answered it just now, at least in some part, when you got this, you mentioned, I, I love your point about you paid for this mastermind group and you went in. And yeah, I always say that when people think about abundance, right? They, they, they always say, look, you're paying for access. That's it. People want to know the features, but that's typically like W2 college mindset, right? Like that's the mindset yep. there. It's like, well, I 100%. put money out. Where's the, where's the thing? Yep. You know, yep. I need the tactile, I need to feel it and see it. And how many, like you said, how many videos, how many courses, what's the structure? And it's like, no, no, no. There's a room full of guys that want to help you. We talked about Gary V at the jump here. He did a post yesterday as we're recording this that was him with like four or five other marketing people that he pays like 15 grand to get together with. He doesn't pay, he just buys dinner and wine. And it's like an expensive night out. He's like, I don't know what comes of it. I don't care. I don't care if I make any money up, but like there's people here. We do this every year, once a year that. You know, they partnered together, or there was an introduction made, or whatever. And in six years, I might make a $10 million client based on this meeting today. But to your point, it's showing up and extracting info. Rant over. Question is those people that you got around in this first mastermind, you mentioned that they had, they gave you the blueprint. Was it, were there, was there anything thematically? That you took from it, and this could be specific to real estate. It could be more higher level, like you mentioned about you know building teams and not being the the bottleneck in your business. Maybe that was one of the the themes yeah. you got from these entrepreneurs. But I'm curious what what you extracted. Do you remember two three lessons or whatever that you got from these folks that really <laughs> impacted you? Totally.
0: So, is it okay if I say the name of the group? Is that a, is that an issue? Oh, I don't care. I yeah, that? yeah, okay. yeah. Open source. Okay, it's it's seven figure flipping, and the reason I want oh, yeah. to say it is a, it's still in existence, and b, yeah. I'm a part of it. By the way, full disclosure, I I am like I'm I'm an owner. Um, but it's still in existence. But you're right. The people, I've had people, or I've been on like discovery calls or whatever, just talking to people in general about the group. And they'll go, Well, what do you get? And I'll go, Well, we, you know, we do events, we have, this, we have this, and they'll go, Well, what else? I'm like, well, okay. Well, we, we also do this, I guess. This is important. We have, you know, accountability. And they'll go, What else? And it's like, I, it's exactly what you're saying. It's a W 2 mentality. It's like, What else? Like, I've already given, I've already told you way more than you would ever need to be successful, uh, way more. Right. Yeah. Um. But what, it, what did I learn? Thematically, uh, hiring, it, I was so far off on hiring. I thought I had this circular logic going. I thought I'm not big enough to hire. I, I'm not a big enough company to hire, but I can never get to the size company I want to be unless I get some help. Wow. Yeah. It's like, it's chicken like this terrible. Yeah, yeah. It's like a chicken in the egg, right? Yep. So, hiring, how to hire, when to hire, who to hire for, who to hire was important for me too. I didn't know who to hire first. I didn't realize. I need to look at my skill sets. I need to look at my business. What do I hate doing? And what am I bad at? Usually it's the same thing, right? That's what you hire first. Don't hire the thing you're great at. Like, hold on to that until you're to that point. So hiring was one. Um, systems and processes, for sure. I, You know, I would I would reinvent the wheel almost every single time I got a property on a contract. It was ridiculous how I just kind of like rethought everything. I, I was like, start, let's turn the table over and start over, Right. That was insane. And then big one, big one, KPIs. Now, for most Mm -hmm. entrepreneurs, we don't have a lot of attention span sometimes. We get bored easily. Uh, Looking at spreadsheets too long makes us glaze over. We we hate it. And so one of the things that one of the easiest things to do when I'm talking to a newer investor who kind of got to a point, but they can't get past it, you start asking them numbers about their business, ask them some of the numbers and they inevitably don't know because uh, the, we want to buy properties. We want to buy properties and sell property, properties and move and shake and do all, the, do all the exciting stuff. But when it comes down to filling out these sheets and like go back and research how what's my marketing doing for me and how many calls does it take for me to get an appointment and how many appointments does it take for me to get a contract? That kind of stuff makes us cro- our eyes cross. And so I learned how to implement KPIs into my company, which KPIs were critical, critically important. Uh, and that alone helped me. It's like flying a plane, right? You can get off the ground. If you're a pilot, getting off the ground isn't the hardest thing in the world. And once you're at altitude or whatever, once you're once you're flying, pretty easy. But if I take all the instruments away from you, you don't always know if you're ascending, descending. If there's a mountain coming, you know, you don't necessarily know that. So the, the instrument panel helps you stay safe from not hitting things. It helps you know when your company is getting better with revenue and, and profits, when it's getting worse, what's working and what's not working. You can do more of the marketing that's working, less of the not. So KPIs, in putting those in my business was revolutionary for me. I was like, holy crap. That's not working. I thought that was bringing me all my money. And turns out it's not doing.
1: Crap Jack for shit. me, right?
0: Yeah, right. Shit. All right. I never know when I'm on a podcast. Yeah. I forgot oh, to Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, Drop, Drop them. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm not a big customer, but yeah, it didn't do shit. Like, I, I didn't realize I was I was putting money into the wrong things. I was, you know, so KPIs was really, really huge. Here, here's one that no one's going to want to hear, but I'm going to say it because it matters so much. And I, I learned the hard way on this. Once I started building a team, and this is where everyone's going to go, want, want they're going to try to hit that 30 second forward thing. Company culture, when you start building a company and you're bringing people in and you're hiring and managing and leading, if you don't know what the pulse and the feelings uh, and the the um, satisfaction level and the gratification of your people, you're going to have a turnstile for a company. People are coming and going and you don't know why. Because I ran an absolutely horrible company to work for when I started hiring because my personality is i don't need a lot of small talk i don't need any talk at all honestly i've taken enough personality assessments to know that my social ability is like zero almost so i don't need to come in and go how was your weekend how's your son doing he had a game last night right like did you watch this episode what did you watch? i just come in and my first words are like what what are we doing with this what happened here we need to do this and so I was all about push, 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 super high energy, super competitive. And when I brought people to my company, I sort of just like treated them the way I would wanna be treated. I don't need someone to say, good morning, how how are you doing today? I'm fine if they say, hey, where are we at with this property? Did you call that guy? Like I can jump right into it. Most people have more of a human nature. They have more of a soul than I do and they wanna have some connection. And so I had to learn how to lead people the way they need to be led. And not everyone needs that. I have a dispo guy, right? He's like me. He doesn't need for one second to me, say, to me to say, good morning, Connor. How was your day? In fact, he gets antsy. He he wants to get into it, right? I have other people who I know for a fact, if I don't start t- with a social component to my conversation, they're going to think I'm being a jerk. So you just ha- I had to learn how to lead people. I was so turn and burn. If you didn't hit your numbers in 90 days, gone. And I wasn't a good mentor either. I didn't teach because I'm impatient and I don't need someone to lay everything out for me. I can figure it out. I thought everyone could figure it out. So I'd go, here's the ball. There's the goal line. Get there. I don't care how you get there. Just get there. Right. And some people look at it and go, well, I don't even know how to run plays. Like, I don't, I don't know what you want me to do. I need some structure. And I didn't, I didn't manage like that. So, so many things, but company culture is important. If you don't know what your company culture is, or if you think it's not important, I can almost guarantee you, your people are not as happy as they could be because you're not paying attention to it. Anything you pay attention to, don't pay attention to, dies eventually.
1: Mm, That's a great way of putting it. I love that. What was your first hire and how did you pay for them?
0: First hire was what we call transaction coordinator. Transaction coordinator, if anyone listening doesn't know, in a wholesaling business, you get a purchase agreement with a seller. That purchase agreement, goes to title. And title starts doing all their discovery and see if there are any title issues. The transaction coordinator basically takes all the documentation, gives it to title, and they work with title to get to the closing table, right? A lot of details, a lot of paperwork, a lot of checking the accuracy of that. I'm bad at that. I don't have detail in my my makeup. So I hired that person. They worked part-time. And I just paid him a regular salary. I think at the time I was paying like $11 an hour or something to this person. And and it was because it was what I really hated to do in my business. And it was where we were slowing down and bottlenecking big time. And it's, it's almost physically painful for me to have to deal with paperwork and check in accuracy and going over a HUD and making sure all the numbers are right. Like... I am the last person you want to do that in your business. And so I was not doing a good job in my business. I hired that person. It was a huge weight off my shoulders. Second person I hired, salesperson. Because Mm -hmm. when I was getting calls from the marketing and things that I was doing, I would look at it sometimes. I knew it was a marketing call. And I'd let it go to voicemail. Like cardinal sin. Like total, total huge sin. I'd let it go to voicemail because I didn't want to talk to them. I don't like doing that part of the business. I'm not a talk on the phone guy. And I just, I would just be like, I know I should answer this. This is money and I I just don't like it. And so I'd call them back and sometimes I hoped they didn't answer so I could leave a voicemail. And that's, that's insane, right? It sounds stupid to say it out loud, but this is before I got mentorship. This is before I understood about hiring. I hired that salesperson and not only did they crush it on the phone, but my KPI, when I would go on appointments, seller appointments, if I went on five appointments on average, I would get one contract out of five appointments. Not bad, not bad. Okay, it's not bad at all. Yeah, it's okay, right? I hired a sales guy who was. I, I kind of got lucky. Sales is hard to hire. Sometimes it takes a while to get the right person. I I knocked it out of the park, out of the bat, or right off the bat. But this guy, he would go on five appointments, similar to all the five that I would go on. He'd go on five, he'd get three contracts okay. on average. Killer. Wow. You know what yeah. that does to a new business when you go from one to three with the same marketing spend and the same effort? It's because he was doing a much better job on the phone creating rapport. And he his superpower is sales, right? And so when you're an owner of a company and you're trying to get it off the ground, you, you, ha, you have to wear all the hats. You have to, right? And I was, I was flat out, Adequate at best at sales. But when you bring someone in who that's really what they do well, I watched him go. I would go on a he won appointments with me when he started. By the way, this guy wasn't in real estate when I hired him. He was a pharmaceutical salesperson. He didn't know one thing about real estate. So he would go on a few appointments with me he would see some of the real basic tools that I would use when I was on an appointment. I yeah. only had a couple of tricks in my book in my, in my tool belt. He, he knew he learned those. And then once he started going on his own, all I did was give him a number. I would, I said, Mike, he's, his name is Mike too. I said, Mike, here's the most you can offer for this house, but get it for as little as possible. But this is your watermark. You can't go above this. And he'd go in there. And if he had a question, if they asked him something that he didn't really know how to answer, he'd say, I got to step outside and talk to my boss. He'd go in the driveway. He'd call me, Hey man, I got in here and like, there's some leaky, there's some water damage on the roof. I don't know what that even means. And I would give him some feedback, give him some things he could say. He'd go back in and he did that for maybe a month. And then he never called me again. And he was just crushing, just crushing. And he still does.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Did you ever get to the point where you hired out the cultural component? HR operations person, that sort of no. thing.
0: No, Uh Well, I, I've hired operations people. I, no, to answer your question, in the spirit that you're asking it, no. I, me and my, I have a partner, business partner. Me and my partner are the ones who make sure that we have our finger on the pulse of the culture of our company. Right? We do weekly meetings, um, and the weekly meetings we do, we have a half an hour with everybody it's not necessarily a work meeting. It's 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 just like, hey, how is everything going? Personally, professionally, is there anything we should be talking about? Because when you tell people, hey, I have an open door policy, come to me anytime you want. It's sort of like, it's more intimidating to go, I need to talk to you, right? It sounds like something bad's about to happen. But if we have a standing half hour meeting, we're already talking. You didn't have to get me my attention, right? So we do that kind of stuff for sure. Um, quick note or quick little side story. We've hired three operations people. We call them COOs, but basically running operations. Two of them crashed and burned badly, like really badly. It was a horrible experience. And my partner and I swore we would never hire an operations person again. We'll have people like leads who are taking lead sure. in certain areas, but no, no over the you know, no overarching person. We literally just hired a new operations person a month ago, and she's Awesome so far, I'm killing it. Like one guy that we have in our company who hates everybody we hire for operations because he's like it never works. These people are clowns. I don't know why we keep doing this. He texted me the other day and he's like, "I love this person. Don't f it up. I like her." I'm like, "Okay, good. That's well, the that's, endorsement I want." The,
1: the the integrator, if you want to call it that, that operations yeah. person yes. is the is the most sought after. I feel like the most sought 100%. after piece of you know talent piece in an organization. What what did you learn from the first two that you think helped you in hiring the third? Was there anything that you saw as because this is this we talk about integrators all the time in GoBundance, people that I meet outside of GoBundance, but integrators or operators they're hard to find. So, what are some lessons you learned from the first two that you may have been able to apply on this third one? The first
0: one, I what I learned from the first one, he was a friend or a past f- friend of my partner, and. I interviewed him. My partner interviewed him. He didn't have a lot of real estate experience at all. And I saw red flags during my interview process, just questions the way he answered them. And I ignored them and just trusted my partner to like, okay, you know him better than I do. If you say he'll work, he'll work. And my partner would tell you this too. I'm not really talking out of school here. He pushed hard because they were friends and he wanted to believe this guy was gonna was gonna do a good job for us he got in our company at the time we had a physical office we don't anymore we're virtual for our team but we had a physical office he would go into the conference room close the door put on you know headphones and just be on his laptop all day he wasn't interfacing with anybody he wasn't he wasn't shadowing anybody like he was real hands-off and he wasn't really working hard. The second guy I knew him, he wasn't necessarily a friend, but he's somebody I knew from when I got was getting started. And when I was getting started in real estate locally, he was the rock star. He was the guy, everybody wanted to be like this guy. And he, but he also worked a corporate job the entire time he was doing real estate, but he was like a C level guy, right? He was making a lot of money and he kind of ran a real estate on the side, but everyone was like in awe of this guy. Well, he downsizing, whatever he, he didn't, he wasn't working. I found out and I'm like, we got to get this guy in our company. He is a rock star. I don't care. We just got to get him in. And I hadn't talked to him really in about six, seven years. So we brought him on first sort of thing. That was a couple of warning signs is he negotiated hard for a high salary, Mm. high salary, negotiated really hard. And I just thought, This guy's going to be worth his weight in gold. So we caved a little bit. He got in the company. First thing he asked us, day one, he said, Can you guys order me a desk that goes up so I can stand when I work? And I'm like, All right, he's older than me. He's He's not an old guy, but he's older. But I'm like, That's kind of weird that that was his first priority. And then turns out the guy was running his own real estate business out of our company, not really doing anything. Collecting a huge paycheck from us. Yeah, yeah. And and he, he and he was real resistant to being led. If we gave him sort of targets or you know projects, he sort of pushed back a lot. It never really got done. And then it would be like sort of a half-assed effort. And this was the breaking point, though. I bottom line is he didn't take our company seriously. He thought he was too good for us. We were in a meeting, me, my partner, and our, direct, our operations guy. I'm sitting at the head of the table. My partner's on the right side. This operations guy is on the left side. And we're sitting there talking and I see the operations guy is just typing away in his computer. And I'm thinking he's taking notes, I'm sure. So we're talking and pretty soon I could he's not. he's not contributing though. He's just, he's just typing. Me and my partner had the meeting for him so we could keep him in the loop, right? Mm-hmm. So at one point I leaned back on my chair and I kind of look over at his screen He's on Facebook. He's chatting on Facebook. And I'm like, I, I keep almost saying his name, but I'm like, dude, I said his name, but I'm like, dude, what are you doing? And he goes, oh, 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 sorry. Sorry, sorry, sorry. And he closes his laptop. He's listening. Next thing I you know, laptop opens. He's listening. He's typing away again. And I'm thinking in my head, surely this son of a bitch is not on Facebook. No way is he. Unf-. I look over. I'll be goddamn, this guy's on Facebook again, chatting wow. away. And I was like meeting over a couple of days later. I talked to my partner. I'm like, we got to let him go. I, I yeah. can't like he's obviously he's collecting money. He's doing nothing. It was a joke, right? So we let him go and, and uh, we're talking to him. And by the way, we let him go, but we were very complimentary of him. We're like, man, you're great. We just, maybe we're not quite big enough for you yet. Like just, it was all, we were yeah, yeah. lying to him to be polite and to sure, save sure. his, save his feelings. <laughs> sure. And he goes, well, I predict you guys are out of business in 90 days. And I was wow. like, what? I'm thinking you haven't done anything. We had our biggest month ever when he left mm. and he's like, you'll be out of business in 90 days. That was two years ago. like, <laughs> He was just, you know, I, and then I heard then stories started coming in from people who worked for us of all the crap that he did and things he said. And it was a disaster. And I was just like, never again, Is um, still operating
1: so, locally or no, Do you know,
0: Um, he's talking a game, a big game on Facebook groups and things like that. I don't think so. I, I don't I don't think he when I when I lost touch with him for six years before we hired him. This is the other thing is once he got in the company and he started like talking and doing things, I realized this guy is not as sharp as I remember. But yeah. I always remember, you know, like when you're little, you remember like you see your uncle or whatever. And he's like, this is a huge guy. And then yeah. you grew up and you're a grown man. You see your uncle. And like, hey, he's an average guy. He's not that big. <laughs> you know, I thought this guy was a rock star. I don't think he was ever a rock star. He's very arrogant. Mm-hmm. And very cocky, and he. So some people interpret that as you know extreme confidence and success. And I don't think he's ever been either one of those things. I think I was duped a little when I was new, thinking this guy was really good. Hired him. He I, he was he was either incompetent or an absolute time stealer, like one of the two. Right, and you don't want yeah. to be either one of those things. Um, and so what I learned was a let's go slow. We're going to hire somebody else. Let's let's be, let's not go out looking for someone, right? If you go and look for someone, you'll find someone, but it may, it may just be someone that you want to find because you're looking, right? So yeah. we weren't looking for this person. Third component that I l- really love about the person we just hired is she has run the same business that we're running, only they were slightly bigger than we are. So there's very little to any learning curve at all. She just has to understand kind of how we operate, some of the nuance. But she brings a lot of ideas to the table. And, you know, we pay attention in the first 90 days. We're not necessarily the turn and burn that we used to be. But in the first 90 days, if you're not doing anything that's impressing us, then we're probably not going to see it. After the honeymoon phase, it's not going to get better. So we got to really be um, diligent about kind of focusing on what's actually going on in the first 90 days. How much are they taking on? How much do they want to take on? How much are they actually doing? And the first two people really weren't doing anything. And we let it go because we thought we'll give them a long leash here. We're not trying to be. T-. And and we were burnt a couple of years ago. We were fresh off of being burned because we were such tyrants and so hard on our people that yep. we were probably too easy we kind of the pendulum swung the other way uh, swung the other way and so now i think we have a much better balance about that about being careful to not let too much time go before we see results and not being too hard on people
1: makes sense um you talk a lot about systems and processes, and I've been wanting to ask this question because I think it's important. Th- those, especially, like you said, for the for the entrepreneur whose head's in the sky and all that stuff, those are such intimidating. They're they're used often, and they're intimidating terms or can be systems processes because you're thinking like widgets and AI and all mm-hmm. that stuff. Can you give me an idea, like uh, what are what are systems and processes from your perspective? Is it that? Is it you need to create? A complex or semi-complex or sophisticated uh group of, of systems that operate on their own, or or maybe it's and is it as simple as a weekly call that you have with your with your team for 30 minutes to to ensure culture? Like, can you give me an idea of when you define and work with entrepreneurs on systems and processes? Yeah. What does that mean?
0: So it's it's definitely in between what you two said, what you said. You gave me two extremes, right? Yep. When you're, when you're a smaller company, maybe a one-man operation, one-person operation, maybe you got one employee, what we found and the mistake that we made, and this is super important that I tell people, when they decide they want to start putting together systems and processes, and you're right, it's sort of a vague term, but when they decide they want to start doing it, the last thing they should do is put together complex processes and overly uh, comprehensive workflows and manuals and all this stuff because Mm. a newer company a smaller company that's not been operating very long you are very fluid your 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 process is going to change so by the time you finish this complex um you know process of putting together manuals and all this stuff it's probably not valid anymore you've decided to go a slightly different route or you're handling things differently so we when you're so to, I'm not trying to give you a vague answer. I'm going to give you no, a very no, specific no. answer, but it's important to understand a newer company versus a uh, uh, kind of a sophisticated or not sophisticated,
1: established, a more yeah.
0: established. Thank you. That's the word. A more yeah. established in the beginning. We treat our systems and processes much more like checklists, right? Almost like a, a pilot might go down on a, before they take off on a plane, like it's all checklist stuff. It's it's high level bullet points that we use for our process. As you get more established and you have more reps and you you kind of settle into how you do things now they need to get a little bit more explicit because not only are they a little bit more established and you know that there's success with that with that system you're also starting to hire more people and so you need something for them to understand how to do their job and usually when you start hiring your business grows usually and i suggest that you start putting people in silos doesn't mean they can't Cross-train a little bit, but we give people very few directives in their work day. We, I don't if, if you have a hundred things that you're responsible for, you're really not responsible for anything because there's no way you can do right. So a salesperson's job is to sign contracts, make calls, go on appointments, sign contracts. We don't bog them down with getting super heavy on like the CRM and being in there and like all kinds of other stuff, like the the closing process and title and all. No, your job is to talk to sellers and sign contracts ultimately. And so when you start siloing people, you definitely need workflows and, and, and stuff like that. Now, I'm not a big fan on creating a lot of technology that works independent of you. And I know that's counterintuitive, but A, it breaks and B, the more technology, and I was all about it in the beginning. I was like, I don't even want to ever talk to anybody. Like, we're just going to have these automated emails, and you call me, and it's like this. And you know, when you, somebody wants to make an offer on a house, they go to this thing, and they put their offer in, and they just submit it, and we'll counter it if it's based in these parameters. There is a human element to what we do in real estate. You, you it really is a human being to human being business. And the more we try to like take humans out and and fully automate it the less profitable we became and the less deals we were getting. And Mm -hmm. so most of the automations and systems are when when a call comes in, for example, how do we answer that call and what are we trying to get? Now, I don't like people using scripts when they answer calls in my company. They start with a script, but here are the bullet points. Here are the things you want to try to find out and I need to hire someone who's very good at creating rapport, and they'll figure out how to create the rapport and be liked and and find common ground. And in the midst of all that conversation, they know they've got three things that they have to find out on that call if they can, and they're critical. Everything else is window dressing to create this, this feeling of trust and breaking down some barriers. And so those are some systems. When we go out on appointments, we have systems for like, okay, before you go on the appointment, this is a good example. Before you go on an appointment, acquisitions person, you need to do your own independent research. Don't rely on anything anyone else did. You need to go in and comp that property, find out what the other properties around I have sold for. And you, know, you need to understand about that. And then you make a call to the seller, reconfirm the appointment, Maybe try to get a little bit of rapport going if you can, but you need to reestablish that that appointment. Go on the appointment. You know, when you're on the appointment, you start off by finding out what their pain point is. What is their what's their motivation for selling? And you spend ninety percent of the appointment talking about that and figuring out how you become the solution. Only at the end, smallest part of the day or smartest smallest part of that conversation is you negotiating. The price of the house. Because if the price of the house becomes the focus of that conversation, you'll lose more often than not. They have yeah. to see you as a trusted solution to their problem. Right. And so that's that. When they get back, they take that contract, immediately send it to our Dispo manager and our transaction person, and then they're out and they go on to the next one, rinse and repeat. Like right? that's the process. My Dispo guy, he is evaluated mostly 90% of how we evaluate his um the whether or not he's doing a good job it's all timing based for dispo right once the pa got to your inbox how long did it take you to get that out to our private buyers list how long did it take you to collect a deposit from a buyer from the time you got the deposit how long did it take you to get to the closing table right it's all speed based but there's a process for him he gets it he sends out the email Uh, he creates the marketing plan, right? So for us, processes are mostly human things that human uh, are are doing. We're not automating all of it, but we want to do things the same way so that we can be efficient and fast. In our business, mine at least, speed is preached all the time. Speed, speed, speed. If you get a contract from a seller, And it sort of languishes and flounders in your in your company and you don't get it out to the title company right away. And you know, you're not really quick. Nothing good will happen. You'll end up losing that contract. The seller will get a little skittish. They haven't heard from you in a while. It took too long. Are these guys legit? Like nothing good. I've never had someone get a contract and say, Oh man, we got that contract. We forgot to market it out. We forgot to start the rehab. We forgot to, you know, we just it sort of sat around. And they said, I'll be damned. I made way more money because I didn't take action right away. It's like that conversation never happens. It's always, we lost the yeah. deal. Seller backed out, right? Or something bad happened in, in the market or, you know, in the world, right? Ukraine gets attacked and people start freaking out and everyone doesn't know what to do. It's like nothing good happens by letting time go by. You must move that along. And so our processes are all about speed and efficiency of getting through the system. Cause that's, that's huge for us
1: this market, as we're coming into it, whatever it, maybe we're in it, who knows, but, you know, as we record this early 2023, where's recession, inflation, markets crashing, you know, inventory <clears throat> is getting higher, people aren't selling, you know, there's all this stuff. As yep. a wholesaler, as a guy in the business of wholesaling, what's been the impact, if any, so far, and or how do you how do you override or overcome the potential impact of, of all that's happening?
0: First of all, I want to say very clearly to everyone, what's happening in the market for investors can and should be a very 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 good profitable time for us. If you would all the things you just said would have been said in 2008-2009, right? But if there's any investor listening who was either not in the market then or very new to it like I was. If you're not saying I wish I could go back to 2008 because you know, you would clean up knowing what yeah. you know now. Like everyone says that, right? And so we're in a market where we're going to look back at some point and say, wow, what a great opportunity we had as investors. Now, it's not always going to be great for consumers and homeowners, but it's, or people who are trying to buy their first house. But for an investor, it's, it's great. And for me, the biggest impact I have right now in my business as a wholesaler is a lot of house flippers are starting to get nervous. And they're getting a little conservative and skittish on buying. Mm. But in, in a time like this, you've got a couple of types of buyers as a wholesaler. You've got the 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 hobbyist, someone who buys a couple of houses a year, they kind of do the work themselves. It's sort of like you know, mom and pop operation. Those folks are pulling back, they're not making yeah, sure. offers, and they're definitely not making low or high offers. Mm-hmm. Then you have the professional house flipper, the guy or gal who's doing 30, 40, 50, hundred flips a year, and they don't have a plan B. This is what they do, right? And I, I have those guys on my list and I, I just had a conversation with one. And he's like, I will keep buying. I'm going forward, like, this is not gonna stop me. I'm actually pretty excited, you know, we got some things. So you have those folks. And then you have the institutional buyers, hedge funds and things like that. They're definitely still making offers, right? They understand that as prices go down, they're buying more and more because they're doing buying a whole lot of times anyways, right? So interest rates go up, prices go down. It's all good for them. People are running yeah. to, to rent houses. And yeah. so what you have to do as a wholesaler is get more professional house flippers and or hedge fund types on your list. So that means you need to work on building your buyer's list, building a better buyer's list. Because if you tell me, and I get this all the time, I'm a wholesaler, uh, my buyers aren't buying. Yeah, you have a shit buyers list, dude. You have a bunch of hobbyists on there who only buy two or three year tops. And of course they're they're not doing anything because they have a nine to five. They don't need this money. They're gonna hold off because they don't wanna make a mistake. You need the folks on there who have no plan B. They burnt the boats already. They're house flippers and that's what they're gonna do. That's what they're built to do. So that that's really the impact. And then the other thing we're doing in our company is we are starting to buy and hold, but we're not doing it as a landlord we're buying properties outright with cash and then we're selling them on terms to buyers mm-hmm. and so we're kind of getting the benefit of that cash flow without toilets and leaky roofs and vacancies and all that i mean people are and, and we're people who can't or don't want to get mortgages or have always been renters who want that home ownership that's who we're appealing to and so that's going great for us that that's mm-hmm. like that's that's our focus right now, even more than wholesaling, because the need is incredibly high and it's a just a great model. So are you are us, you
1: funded or are you self-funded for that model?
0: Both. We're self-funding some of them. We're raising private money for others. That raising yeah. the private money is gonna do the bulk going forward. Sure. We don't have sure. unlimited funds, but right, right, right. um, but we're but it's arbitrage. We're we're borrowing lower than we're than we're uh, owner financing it out for.
1: What, I'm curious. Are your terms greater than, lower than what they could get at a bank right now? Greater than. Okay.
0: But yeah. here's here's the here's the here's the key. These folks that we're selling to, they're they're renters right now, right? Yeah. And so if we buy a house in a neighborhood and and we look at the rents of the neighborhood and the rents are fifteen hundred dollars a month, we price the house so that that payment is very close to or below fifteen hundred dollars a month. And so our rates are higher. But like when you go to a car dealership, they don't say how much total do you want to spend on a car? They say, how much can you afford to pay every month? It's a
1: monthly purchase. Yeah, it's a
0: monthly purchase. And so they're paying us $1,500 a month for a house that they own and not rent. Our rates are higher, but they don't care. They want to know what their payments are going to be. So, you know, but there's Dodd-Frank, you have to be careful, right? I'm not Saying it's a wild west and charge them, you know, you have to, you have to be, you know, compliant. But no, 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 within the rules, and and we're charging higher than what they would get at a bank. But most of these folks can't or don't want to get a mortgage for whatever reason. They might be in a cash business, they might be an entrepreneur themselves, and you know how that goes, right? Million dollars in the bank, they don't care. How much do you make every week or every month reliably that we can see a track? It's like, no, I don't work that way. But it makes it hard. We're not easy to loan to, so. Um, and, and we build a buyer's list, like a separate buyer's list. It's a Facebook group. And when we get a new property, we put it in this group. And these are all people who have identified themselves as people who want to buy on terms from us. And we put it in this group and it's like a feeding frenzy. They're going, people going crazy for it. So as the market gets a little bit rough for some people, we're building this, this business that has insane demand that is independent of house prices and rates.
1: You um. I mean, I love this. I love the story of the business you built because I, I resonate so much with it. Like the bag of cash, you said, lemonade stand thing, you know, yes. <laughs> that that hit me. like. Oh, oh, <laughs> I write a newsletter every week to explain like the lessons I've learned. And a lot of it is to reveal what you said, especially for somebody looking to leave the nine to five. It's like, it ain't, I, I don't know. Maybe some people it's like, wow, this person is like engineered perfectly. Like they, they had a spreadsheet everything was organized and they stepped out of job and over into entrepreneur and they were just chugging along as a machine. But the reality that I've seen, and to your point, getting exposed to other entrepreneurs in a group like abundance or masterminds, and then just becoming one myself is like, you kind of throw shit at the wall. Shit comes back. You survive. It's like, okay, you Mm -hmm. keep rolling. And then you start to, okay, let me put some pieces together here, hire somebody, all of that. So I love the story. I love the, the, um, the vulnerability. So I appreciate that. I'm curious about, um, I don't know how recent it is, but I'll say more recently, you, you know, you've got a book, you're speaking on stages with some big, big names, you know, the Gary V's and Russell Brunson's of the world. What is the, what is the motivation for that? Is there a business imperative there or do you just love it? Um,
0: both. I love it. Uh, I started speaking at, at an event called flip hacking live about seven years ago. And and I really I really do love talking in front of people, and so it's truly a split focus. I definitely want to help people. I absolutely love watching the light bulb go on with people, having people text me and say, "Oh my gosh, I saw you on stage, and I I took action. You inspired me, whatever." And they do something good. I also do coach people and have my own my own course that I that I have, and so some of it is that driving people to that so I can help people out. But um, but I was speaking on stage for years before I had anything to tell them to go check out, like, because I do love it. I, I like talking in front of people and I like helping people and, you know, you know how it is. Um, you you speak on stage in front of a lot of people, you get off stage and people are coming up and thanking you and, and asking you questions. It's just a, it's a rewarding kind of feels good, right? And it, and it helps people.
1: What Can you tell the story of, you you mentioned Gary v. Uh How did you get on a stage with Gary yeah. V. specifically?
0: It's so Gary V. If you if you follow the guy and you like him, this is the most Gary V. story ever. So I was I have a podcast I've had it um, for years. I started in 2013, and at one point I said, "What's the uh, podcast called?" called? It's called Just Start Real Estate. Just Start Real Estate. Um, And so I I had that, and I started. I found Gary V. I just whatever he stumbled into my life at some point. Started really watching his stuff. Loved him. You know, and if you listen to him, you know how he is. He's like, just pick up the phone, start calling people, like whatever. Right. So I just cold DM'd him and said, hey, I'm a big fan of yours. Uh, I've been following you for a while now. Super inspirational. Would love to get you on my podcast, you know, if you'd be interested or like whatever. He didn't respond. But like two days later, his company, uh, VaynerMedia, reached out to me and said, we're having this event called Agent 2021, and we'd like you to be a speaker. <laughs> There was trust me. There was absolutely no reason they would have reached out to me if Gary V hadn't got my DM. I know this is what happened. He got my DM, he saw it, and he's like, "Well, who is this guy?" He started getting into me, digging in, looking me up, finding my podcast, whatever he did. And at some point, obviously, had this thought that ah, this guy has something to say. I like something about him. I'm gonna see if he wants to talk. And and I got on the phone with their folks. And next thing you know, I'm in Miami at the Dolphins football stadium. Uh, with a bunch of people, uh, including Gary V, and I'm I'm talking in front of a humongous group of people. I don't remember how many people were there at this point now, but it was thousands, awesome.
1: though plural thousands, thousands,
0: thousands. Such a well-run, and you know, you're in the Dolphin Miami Dolphin Stadium. It was awesome. It was super cool. Yeah, it was. It was a really. What,
1: what, what was awesome your talk? Life.
0: I was talking about how technology will affect real estate in the future. Like what technology do I think will be impactful in the future? Oh, you got to
1: you got to give us some goods here. What technology will be impactful? <laughs> this was this
0: future? was back in 2 th- I want to say it was in 2018 was 19, po- 20, 20. It was in 2018 because he was going to have four of them and he called it he called it agent 2021 because that would be the last year that he spoke. So I at the time I was speaking about uh Facebook and finding motivated sellers on Facebook. Because in 2018, that was a relatively new thing for me, at least in real estate. I had not heard a lot of people doing it. And so creating ads that convert and how those folks in real estate and what they're... you know It's a little bit different than when you send a postcard, somebody finding you on Facebook and clicking on an ad. And so I was just talking about what we were doing in real estate and what I imagined would come true over the next few years, as it relates to Facebook and, and finding motivated sellers. So, wow. um, that was my focus at the time.
1: Were you paid to speak or was it more of the opportunity that, uh, that I was, was not
0: paid to speak. It was at the least they pay
1: for your travel. Nothing, nothing. No, you had to get I, there by yourself,
0: dude. Yeah. And, and honestly, like I, I love, Gary. I love, I, Gary. Have too. I would have totally, I would do it tomorrow <laughs> for free. I don't, I don't care, man. But, uh, Gary V, it was interesting because at that point I had been to, I had spoken on stage probably two or three years at that point, fairly big events um, at uh, Flip Hacking Live. And I know how things go at Flip Hacking Live. At Flip Hacking Live, if you're asked to be a speaker, you've got all access to everything. Like you can go backstage, you can do whatever, like you're a speaker, right? Man, at Gary's event, you are a speaker that is a certain kind of entrance and certain kind of access, it's not all access, it's not. So, I mean, there were some big names there speaking and you uh, you have to have backstage access to get backstage backstage access. If what you does don't, that look
1: like? What, so you're a speaker, what is the access you have? Is it just like this tunnel, stage, back, that's it? Yeah, I mean, you can go to
0: the event, obviously, and be in the sure. audience, but, but like he had VIP events where he like was hanging out after hours with people. Speakers were not automatic. Gary was very ushered. He was siloed, and he was ushered sure. around. He didn't just walk through the crowd like you know Jesus and touching everyone. Like he was siloed. He was he was sequestered from people, which which is fine. It's just another way of running it, right? But yeah, uh, speaker access that was access an, a, that was was an epiphany for
1: me in the last three months. I, I was talk, talking to a guy who's big in the Tony Robbins organization. Meaning he's a what is it like the platinum. Pay like a hundred grand to be in this, you know, high level Tony Robbins thing, and he's done that year after year. He's a abundance guy, and he was saying he said it really well. He goes, "Tony's a Tony is an employee in his organization. Like, well, what do you mean by that? He's like, there's nothing that he does. Like, there's nothing that he does in that structure. Like you, you said that they pretty much like point him, push him, go do the the one thing you're great at. Right, go speak on that stage, but like." The car, the path there, the drink, the food, who's going to be up next, the logistics, who's allowed where, like none of it. And it, it makes sense. <laughs> but for some reason, when he said it that way, he's an employee in his own business. That's I'm sure Gary, right? Yeah, Gary yeah. is an employee yeah. in his own business. Like they yep. just they structured around him and they just literally plug him in like 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 the president, you know, just <laughs> you go yep. there. And that's percent right.
0: 100 percent. Right. 100 percent.
1: Right. Yep. so I I see that as you know as I start to think because I like you like I I speak a bit I've got a brand I'm trying to build that grow bigger I Gary motivates me that's like that's the kind mm-hmm. of guy that I aspire to right so yeah. to yep. to get to a place where I'm in my genius hire out the things I'm not great at do what I'm doing do what I do well be in the spot I like you've got the podcast you're getting on stages you're running the culture of your company right like that's yep. where you spend time not yeah Okay, I'm getting on a, a listing of, or appointments. I'm, go, I'm I'm taking calls. I'm going to the houses. None of that. It's no. a passive endeavor for you, the business, because you're in the area that you love being in. So, I don't know. That just really speaks to me. So, anyway. Totally.
0: I will say it was a it was a incre- it was the best run event I've ever been to, by the way. I mean, he wow. was he was handled like the president like you said, but man, was it ran tightly. Really well done, really well organized. It was a real lesson in how to run a, an event well.
1: Very cool. Very cool. Well, let's get this because I know we're running up against it here. What uh, What's the best way for people to learn more about you? You have a book. How can people get a copy of that book? Talk, to, talk me through all that.
0: Yeah. So this is the book I wrote uh, and I created a landing page for your folks. And if they go to my website, mikesimmons.com forward slash tribe you will get a free download of the book, free digital download of the book. So that's that's free for you guys. I do have a podcast. We mentioned it. It's called Just Start Real Estate. You can go check me out there. Um, if you're on my website, there's contact information there so you can get a hold of me if you want. So that that's really the best way. Go to my website, go grab the book and listen to the podcast if you're a podcast listener.
1: Love it, man. Well, I get back to Michigan. I'll have to take you out for a drink or coffee or whatever it might be, but I appreciate you jumping on and uh, and just a ton of information, man. And the story is incredible. So I appreciate you doing this.
0: Thank you for having me. I seriously, I appreciate it very much. I had a good time too. I told you in the beginning, right? Is a little back back behind before we got live here yeah. that I'm super competitive. And I saw that you have episodes that go 215, 220. I have literally do? been watching, man. I, I need to know, or I'm sorry, 115, 120. We're about 110 right now. So I feel good about it. It puts me in a pretty good ranking that I, I can be happy with. There you go. You I can't did help it. You that competitiveness. It. You're do, in I the man. pantheon. Right.
1: <laughs> I appreciate it, Mike. Thank you.
0: All right, man. Thank you.